We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. I just want to make an impact, a positive impact, on as many people as possible. You gotta wanna succeed as bad as you wanna breathe. When you're down, you might feel like you want to give up. Don't stop. Keep moving. Keep breathing. There's a war on consciousness in our society. There is an awakeness, an awareness that sees it all. And it's in you too. It's in all of us. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. This is the G and Coletti Show. Let's begin. On this episode of the G and Coletti Show, we got to talk with Ocean Robbins. He is the grandson of the founder of the Baskin Robbins Empire. He's also the son of John Robbins, who turned down fame and fortune to pursue a different life of integrity and good health. This episode is all about food, plain and simple. More than that, it's about the food industry. Food was once something so simple and natural. A necessity that unless you are a breatharian, you need food to survive. But it has become a thing of commerce, economics, a determinant in your health, and so much more. It literally becomes a part of who we are and deeply connects us to the earth. You are what you eat. The Baskin-Robbins empire started from humble beginnings and sparked an industry revolution that literally changed the way the world eats. They invented the franchise concept and companies like McDonald's copied their model and had tremendous success. A few generations later, the father and son team are starting a revolution of their own called the Food Revolution Network. And their goal is to bring back health and integrity to our food system. Now, the founder of Collective Evolution, Joe Martino, went to Hawaii on one of these mastermind networking type of events. And when he came back, he told us about a really interesting guy he met named Ocean Robbins. Now, I remember thinking that that was such a distinct name. I haven't met an Ocean before. Joe told me that Ocean was the grandson of the man that co-founded the Baskin-Robbins empire. And Ocean's father, John, walked away from this privileged lifestyle because of the negative health impacts of eating ice cream. He began writing books and spreading word about eating organic, non-GMO foods and about the dangers of eating processed foods and consuming dairy from factory farms. Ocean and his renegade father are making huge impacts in creating awareness in this world. Now, I was really excited when Ocean agreed to be on the podcast because it's rare that G and I get to pick the brains of someone that has access to this top level of the hierarchy of society. We're talking billionaires here. The first thing we were curious about was the family history. His dad obviously walked away from the empire that his grandfather had built, leaving me and Coletti here totally scratching our heads. Most people would dream of an opportunity that comes along with fame and fortune. I absolutely agree. I think it's easy for someone to say that they would do the same thing that Ocean's father did and, and walk away from the family fortune. But deep down, I think you know everybody wants to be a millionaire, maybe even a billionaire. Imagine what would be possible if you had that amount of wealth and power. Even if you wanted to do good in this world, you could rationalize and convince yourself that the damage you're doing uh, from selling people ice cream is far outweighed by, you know, the amount of good you can do with those company profits. I was once told that you can see someone's true intentions by what they do, not what they say. And Ocean's father has a very high degree of integrity. I guess the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, being part of that community maybe might not make you want to be part of it so much. But Ocean's father was being groomed to take over the family business. And to put it in perspective, in 2010, they made up 68% of the entire ice cream production in the United States and had over 7,500 international locations. So why would someone want to walk away from such an opportunity like that, you might ask yourself. 
Well, John had the vision to see the effect unhealthy food, like ice cream, would have on people, and he wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Now, talk about a test of character. He chose to walk away and not be a part of hurting people's health, people he would never know or probably ever meet in his entire life. And I think there's a big flaw in society of how we define success. You know, a lot of us will define success as material wealth only. I think there's a better definition of success. It's being able to spend the time doing things that you love, doing the things that you want to do, and doing the things that you believe in. The reality is we've got some folks who have so much money, they have way more than they could ever use or spend or need. But for some reason, they, they've also invested their ego and their identity in the accumulation of more money. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, it, I mean, my grandfather was one who basically thought that you could measure a person's, um, person's success purely by their material success, right? And we call someone a success based on making money, right? And we, we ask about someone's net worth as if net worth and self-worth were the same thing. And so um, we've got a system in which um, we have billionaires who actually feel poor, you know, who actually think they're only okay if their quote net worth unquote is going up and up and up. And they've gotten there. Most, peop- most fortunes are made um, through some fairly exploitive practices. I mean, you can make a good living doing good work, but it's pretty hard to become a billionaire without cheating somebody or ripping somebody off or paying somebody slave wages somewhere along the way. That resonates with my past because I used to be one of those people too that only cared about about net worth and, and I thought that was self-worth. I thought that was the same thing. It was, it was basically how much money you had was the scoreboard measure of success. Grandfather, uh, you know, of course, was it was pretty devastated that my dad walked away from the company he'd spent his life building. Uh, they didn't have a very close relationship for many years, and he was eating the standard American diet plus a double scoop of ice cream on top. Then uh, when he was in his um, early 70s, he was his, his doctor sat down with him and said, Mr. Robbins, you're a very sick man, and you're, you have to take these medications for diabetes. You're overweight. You have serious heart disease, and we don't think you're going to live past another couple of years. Unless you read this book and they handed him a copy of Diet for New America. So here's my grandpa, the, the ice cream, you know, um, you know, he, he was a, he was a, you know, extraordinarily wealthy and successful man. And he is being handed a copy uh, by his doctor of the book by his renegade son. Well, here's the amazing thing. My grandpa read the book and he ended up making changes in his diet and getting results. And he made more changes and got more results. And he ended up uh, losing over 30 pounds and getting off all of his diabetes medications. And his golf game improved seven strokes. And he got off his heart disease medications. And he lived another more than 20 good, healthy years. And, you know, the the remarkable thing is that uh, we've seen in our family what can happen when you make choices that are towards greater health and wellness. And we've seen it personally. We've also seen uh, it collectively because my dad's work has inspired millions of people to change their food choices. And we've received literally over 100,000 letters from people over the years um, expressing their gratitude. I think this is the most interesting part of Ocean's story. His grandfather was devastated when he found out that his dream of his son taking over the family business was not going to happen. However, if that had not happened, he probably would have died in his 70s. I bet he thanked God that his son left the family business while he was living into his 80s and 90s. 
Sometimes the universe works in mysterious ways. But from the father's perspective, I'm sure at the moment his son walked away, he was devastated. But And he never would have thought in his wildest dreams that him leaving would actually save his life. So anyone listening, just remember, when something bad happens, it may seem bad at the moment, but there is always a silver lining. And in this case, it took a little while just to figure what it was. Ocean has an ingenious analogy that he uses to describe the evolution of the food system. He breaks it down into three phases. I look at it, the food 1.0 is about survival. You know, if you can get enough calories to fill your belly and carry on for another day, then that's success. And for most of human history, that's that's been the food deal. And for many people in the world, it still is. People eat what they can afford and what's available to them. And they're lucky if they can eat it all. And I think a lot of people are still stuck in this, this 1.0 phase, the first phase of, of three uh, because they're not sure where their next meals are, are coming from. Yeah, millions and billions of people all around the world are still stuck there. And I think before the last few hundred years at least, everyone was in 1.0, all the way back to probably the last advanced civilization that was wiped out by a meteor, which we talk about in episode one with Graham Hancock. The industrialized world, we have a new development in the last hundred years or so, which I call Food 2.0. And in Food 2.0, the fundamental organizing principle of food isn't survival, it's commerce. It's, it's, a, it's a product to be bought and sold. And that's brought us an incredible array of flavors and tastes and textures and cuisines. Uh, you can go out for Italian or Japanese or Chinese, you know, often on the same block, right? Um, you can eat food that comes from all over the planet and you've got access to all of it for remarkably low prices, honestly, because of the, the power of um, mass production and um, assembly lines and, and mass distribution systems. The trouble with Food 2.0 is that it's morally bankrupt. It has no value judgment on whether food is healthy for you or for your planet. It's entirely, its success is entirely measured in, in profits and revenues. And it is profitable to sell food, even if it's toxic. So right now we're in food 2.0, and 2.0 has a lot of scary aspects to it, and one of them being GMOs, which is genetically modified organisms. Genetic modification is the process of forcing genes from one species into an entirely unrelated species. Unlike crossbreeding or hybridization, both of which involve two related species and have been done without any negative effects for centuries, genetic engineering forcefully breaches the naturally occurring barriers between the species. So some examples of GMOs include strawberries and tomatoes injected with fish genes to protect the fruit or from goats freezing. injected with spider genes to produce milk with the protein salmon that are genetically engineered with a growth hormone that allows dairy them to cows keep larger with genetically engineered hormones. Yeah, I think like I've heard enough. You know, the, they've only been doing this for the past 20, 30 years. Uh, they're not really sure of the the implications, and, and it's just a, a matter of profitability. And I think when you play with Mother Nature, Mother Nature lasts last. And we know that something's wrong with the the food supplier, or whatever we're doing is is not working out because you know autism's going through the roof. Uh, women have trouble with fertility. Cancer's going through the roof. Heart disease. People are gaining weight, stress, trouble sleeping. So there's something wrong. And I think it makes a lot of sense to look at our food source and see what may be hurting us. You're right. You're absolutely right. Mother Nature is fighting back. Super weeds and super bugs have evolved that are resistant to GMO pesticides. The answer from these chemical companies is dump more and stronger chemicals on the crops. Finally, these foods should be labeled. It should be mandatory and consumers should have the right to know exactly what is in their food. I think the core issue is that the industry is only concerned with profits. You know, there isn't a very clear correlation between what the industry is doing with the food and people getting ill, so it's hard to directly pin it on them. And I also feel like, you know, they're breaking the natural laws to increase output, 
And, you know, there's huge potential consequences to this. And I'll give you an example. Someone came up with the ingenious idea to feed cows other cow parts as a way of being efficient and increasing profit. Now, cows are herbivores, and the farmers knew this. And this is how Mad Cow got started, and people lost their lives because of the mistakes. And it only stopped because we were able to 100% pinpoint it back to the farm and this meat feeding practice. Now, what if we never were able to work it backwards? People would never know why they got sick and died. And I think that's exactly why many of these companies are fighting GMO labeling, because it will allow consumers to now have an idea of what foods have GMOs and then can correlate that to you know different health aspects. We've got efforts towards GMO labeling in the United States. It's something that 91% of the American public supports. In Canada, the numbers are similar. Most people want to know what's in their food. They think that genetically modified organisms are make a material difference. We know from extensive research that they're tied to greater pesticide use uh, by about 500 million pounds so far. We know that they're tied not just to the use of Roundup directly on our crops, but also 2,4-D, which is one of the two ingredients in Agent Orange. The massive numbers of birth defects, it's a, it's a likely carcinogen. This is, this is now being sprayed or will be soon be sprayed on our field entirely because of GM agriculture because the, the crops are resistant to it so they can spray it directly on the crops and kill the weeds but not the plants. So so we've got these, these realities and most people want to know if their food is genetically modified and yet uh, we don't have the right to know. It's not, it's, in a democracy you think the will of the people would, would pervade but it hasn't and the, the reason it hasn't is because we've got a government uh, government officials that are fundamentally bought off um, and I, I say that with with um, sobriety I'm not a I'm not a um, <laughs> I'm not the kind of person who likes to scream revolution and not have it mean something um, I say it because it, with sobriety and with sadness I recognize that um, that we've got a context where normal has become toxic where toxic food is subsidized by government and advertised by industry and consumed by the public. I'm absolutely baffled by the situation. I, I don't know how industry can argue that they want the ability to not label their food. It's like they're 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 blatantly to our face telling us that they, they want to lie to us. Yeah, food labeling is a huge issue. On one hand, you know, genetically modified foods, we should know if they're in our food. Then the other aspect of this is the amount of pesticides that are being put in our food. This year, the World Health Organization declared glyphosate, which is probably the most widely used pesticide in the whole world, and they declared it a probable carcinogen. And it's crazy that you need to wear a hazmat suit to spray it, but it's okay to eat it. Let's talk a little bit about factory farming, another really scary aspect of the food 2.0. Factory farming is basically, by definition, a large industrialized farm in which large numbers of livestock are raised indoors in conditions intended to maximize production at minimal cost. The conditions are horrific. These animals are basically in like a concentration camp and they're tortured their entire lives, not really being able to move. And food or animals raised in an unnatural condition is going to make an unnatural end product also for the users. You know, I haven't really eaten meat since 2009. I've been vegetarian. And I, I agree with food being, you know, raised in its natural condition. For instance, cows are supposed to eat uh, grass, not grain or corn, especially not GMO corn or grain. And uh, I only eat grass-fed meats. I learned from, uh, from Dave Asprey and the Bulletproof Diet. It worked wonders for me. And, and grass-fed meat has a different composition and nutritional value than grain-fed. 
uh, especially the uh, the Omegas. You know, a normal person is supposed to be four to one Omega six to Omega threes, and uh, and right now people are around the, the fifteen and sixteen to one, which is completely out of whack. Yeah, and it's it's meat is not the only reason that threw this ratio out of whack. It's all food two in general. But in addition to the quality, you know, when animals are killed in a fearful state, they release hormones that people end up consuming. See, but it's funny because that's actually not in the calculation. All they're looking for is is input versus output just to maximize productivity. So if the uh, if the cow can take up uh, the least amount of space and uh, can put on the, the most amount of weight per uh, per week or month or, or per uh, kilo of food, then, then that's the way they're gonna go. They don't care how the cow feels or lives or even if it's bad for the consumer. And what about antibiotics? 80% of all antibiotics used in the US are used by animals. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they have to pump them with antibiotics because they basically defecate where they eat and sleep. And the problem is those antibiotics are, are still in the meat when we ingest it. And antibiotic resistance is on the rise. Now, there's also another factor which we need to consider is the environmental impact of factory farms. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But 91% of all the Amazon destruction is caused by factory farm related crops to feed you know, the animals. And also 58% of all greenhouse gases are created by factory farms, which is more than all the traffic combined, which is only at about 13% of the overall greenhouse emissions. Water scarcity is a huge topic of debate these days, especially with droughts going on around the west coast of the U.S. Uh, animal agriculture uses 55% of all the water in America. And the list goes on and on. And I think on. most people know these facts and figures from the very popular documentary Cowspiracy, where they get into the environmental impacts of factory farming. And the bottom line here is, you know, everyone doesn't have to stop eating meat tomorrow, but try to reduce your consumption and eat better quality grass-fed meats if you are going to eat meat. So I think that pretty much sums up 2.0. Wait, wait, wait a minute, we're not done yet. There's more. Yeah, we still haven't touched on corruption. And Ocean's family coming from this, this higher level of society, I find it hard to believe that, that they don't know what really happens behind the scenes, whether it's in the White House or with senators or politicians. It's just that healthy profits come from healthy food. However, in the toxic status quo, um, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of investment in what's currently making certain entities large amounts of money. And they're in reinvesting some of their profits in ads. Tens of billions of dollars are being spent advertising mostly junk food and in buying political leadership. This is the part that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but we also know it's true that uh, we have government officials today who are more accountable to donors than to voters. And that's there's simple metrics to that. You know, ad spend can change voter preference. And so, uh, you know, I think in 96% of the elections in the United States last year, whoever raised the most money was the winner. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the reality is that the moneyed interests who are profiting from the status quo are also lobbying. And they're also using that money to keep political leadership uh, indebted to them. What, what that has, has created is uh, political leadership that is fundamentally a pawn serving the interests of a status quo. And that status quo happens to be one in the food world that's toxic, that's killing us, that's fueling epidemic rates of disease, and that's causing devastating impact on our planet. I did some research into U.S. presidential campaigns, and President Obama spent between $650 million and $1.1 billion in his 2012 presidential race. Now, a lot of that money is coming from companies and lobbyists, and one has to wonder, why would they donate so much money? I'm sure part of the reason is to support a, a presidential candidate that believes in uh, viewpoints and whatnot that are aligned with their political views, 
but why really? Why invest in your money if you're not going to get anything in return? And if people are acting in their self-interest, then then what are they really getting? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I'll assume that they anticipate getting something in return once you know the party they support gets into power. An incredible example of this just happened recently in regards to the U.S. Food Guide and some suggestions made by experts. On October 6th of 2015, it was announced in the U.S. that the uh, new dietary guidelines which um, are coming out. They, they are revised every four years in the United States and they impact school food and, and a policy ac across the board. So there had been a proposal from the advisory committee that was advising on dietary guidelines to include sustainability in the mix. They said, you know what? Our environment affects our health. And so if food affects the environment, which in turn affects our health. So we can't advise on the health effect of food without also factoring in the environmental impact of that food. And partly based on that, they looked at that and they said, you know what, animal products have a greatly outsized environmental toll um, compared to um, vegetable products. And so they included in their recommendations that fact. Uh, animal products industry, the meat industry and the dairy industry were horrified. They didn't actually dispute that their products were more environmentally damaging. They simply were horrified that this should be included because, of course, it was going to be bad for sales. So they mounted a massive lobbying effort. And um, not surprisingly, um, it was announced on October 6th that, that they had won. The U.S. Secretary of Agriculture announced that uh, environmental sustainability would not be a factor in the guidelines for Americans eating. Okay, I think I understand what happened here. That uh, in the street world, that's called muscle. That's called extortion. That's called yeah. That that's called the just just raw muscle. They knew they were wrong, but they just probably had so much leverage, whether it was financial contributions or old favors, maybe an extortion. But at the end of the day, they knew it's bad for business. A, they knew that a change in the guideline would result in a loss of sales, and B, this is information that they definitely don't want the public to know. So I have to ask. I'm, I'm curious because I always see hear about people say things about uh, like they or them. When you say food industry, can you pinpoint an exact person, an exact company? What do you What do you mean exactly? Well, they are multinational corporations, like the big, big companies, the food companies. Now, I don't know if you can blame the CEOs of these companies because their job is to make profit and appease the shareholders. Um, and sometimes that means doing things that are legal, but not necessarily in the best interest of the end users. And I can't imagine some of the decisions these guys or ladies have to make. Is it their fault or is it the system's fault? And also like lobby groups and large associations like, you know, the dairy farmers and stuff like that who have vested interests in the profitability of certain industries, regardless of the effect they have on society and the environment. I think we need Food 3.0, which is about health. In Food 3.0, health becomes the central organizing principle of our food system. Health for our bodies and health for our planet. Now, why, what keeps us stuck in Food 2.0? You know, partly it's habits. Partly it's a food industry that is profiting tremendously from the status quo. Now, there's a lot of profit to be made in food 3.0. It's just that healthy profits come from healthy food. However, in the toxic status quo, um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of investment in what's currently making certain entities large amounts of money and that's causing devastating impact on our planet. So this is why we call our organization the Food Revolution Network because we're standing up for a revolution. A revolution in how we think about food, how we process food, how we grow food, how we consume food. And and that, that revolution is one that you don't fight with swords and bombs. It's one that you fight with your knife and fork. 
And what we don't realize is how much power we have as consumers, as individuals. You know, how you spend your dollars will dictate how the market responds. The more you invest in local, organic, and healthy food, you're putting money into the pockets of these smaller companies or maybe even large companies. And you take it away from the big mega corporations who are causing all this damage to the food industry. Trust me, the companies, big and small, are all listening to what we want as consumers. McDonald's started offering kale options, but there's in fact very little kale in these foods. Now, they don't necessarily want to make food healthy. Their main focus is to make us believe that the food they're selling is healthy so that we continue buying, and that's not the same thing. I think there's more of a it's more of a marketing issue for these companies than it is a case of making their food actually healthy. Yes, it is a classic case of marketing food healthy over making food healthy. And that kale salad you're talking about actually has more calories and fat than a double Big Mac. So some people might think it's healthy and be misled that think they're going to lose weight by eating it when in reality it's actually worse for them. Yeah, and speaking of McDonald's, one sign of uh, food 3.0 being on the horizon is that they closed 700 locations last year. In addition, you know, soda sales are plummeting. I honestly have no idea how Coca-Cola is still in business. I don't know who drinks this stuff. I don't care if they put my name on a can. It doesn't make me feel special. There's a documentary called Fed Up that, you know, both of us are big fans of. And in the doc, they mentioned that Michelle Obama was launching a campaign to get kids to eat healthy. And the lobby groups, as clever as they are, they didn't fight her. They instead partnered up with her and slightly modified their product, not really, maybe 10%, it didn't make a big deal, but they really redirected the emphasis of the campaign on kids getting active. Yeah, so they modified it in a way that they reduced the sugar consumption by just a little bit, but combined over 300 million Americans on a percentage basis, it just sounded like a huge number when they bulked it all together. Yeah, they, they, they found a way to spin it. So her campaign ended up being the uh, Let's Move campaign. So she was trying to convince children to to move more rather than than eat less which didn't work the mathematics just didn't work yeah the real math would be something like if a kid were to drink one can of coke they would have to ride a tricycle for an hour and 15 minutes just to burn off the calories in that coke so if a kid's drinking a can and a half or two cans a day they got to be you know a goddamn triathlete to burn that thing (laughs) off uh but you know it's really it's it's not funny that the corruption actually goes all the way to the top right right to the first lady of the united states you know and i i bet she started off with the best intentions but that just shows the power some of these lobbyists have These, these big companies have their huge budgets so not only can they 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 pay you know for political campaigns and whatnot but they also can hire the the best and brightest out of, of the best schools in the world and hire the best minds to come up with ways of, of spinning things or or training people in their, in their in their demeanor whether it's michelle obama to to make things seem natural organic and, and basically you know pull the veil over our eyes so in closing here is 3.0 really on the horizon well there's a lot of markers in my eyes that say it is Fortune magazine reported that the millennials, people born from 1980s to 2000s, have created an $18 billion shift in the market to smaller, healthier, more organic, local type brands. Chipotle voluntarily went non-GMO. Monsanto cut over 2,600 jobs due to a decline in sales. 400 million less animals were killed last year because people are shifting globally to a more plant-based diet. This is great news, people. Campbell's recently decided to voluntarily label all GMOs. And countries around the world are banning or restricting GMOs. So in a nutshell, the companies are listening. What are you saying to them? What are you telling them that you want? To me, hope is not so much of a noun as a verb. 
It's it's not a spectator sport. I don't have hope because I sit on the sidelines and watch and think, oh, we're going to win the football game. I have hope because I hope it's something we live. It's something we put into action. And as long as there's breath in my lungs and, and blood in my veins and dreams in my heart, then I've got hope. And I think we all do. And so to me, I, I'm completely optimistic because I know what's at stake. And I know that pain pushes and vision pulls. And whether it's the pain of losing loved ones to cancer or facing our own mortality or having aches and pains, whether it's or, or the pull of a vision of a thriving healthy life or the pull of a vision of a thriving healthy food system, I think that we're all being motivated both by the pain and suffering of what's going on but also by the vision of what's possible. The, the stakes are too great, the cost is too great, and the suffering is too great. And frankly, the future of our planet's at stake. But I think the question is, are we going to get to a transformation in food system on our own two feet because of choices we make, like my grandfather did when he changed his diet? Or are we going to be like my, my dad's uncle, Bert Baskin, who was the co-founder of the ice cream company, who was an extraordinarily rich man, one of the most successful businessmen in American history, along with his brother-in-law, um, and who died in his early 50s of heart disease. You know, he, he had everything. He had wealth, he had he had a family he loved and he left his wife a widow and his, his kids fatherless my dad's cousins fatherless I never even got to meet my dad's uncle Bert but 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 you know he didn't get another chance right my grandpa did so some of us do get second chances some of us don't right and and, and the reality is that that pain will push us or it will kill us but we also have the opportunity to make choices and to make changes without having to get to that place and uh, I see a lot of people doing that, and, and that, that fills me um, with gratitude, honestly. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That's the end of the episode with Ocean Robbins. I hope you, you took away a lot of information, and we, and we covered a lot of really good stuff that can improve your lives and the lives of the people around you. And if you want to stay in touch, you can reach us at Giancoletti at collective-evolution.com. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you. We're done. <laughs>